Hey, it's Brandon Laws. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. We will be launching at Zenium our annual What People Want for Work survey. Make sure to sign up. There's a link in the show notes. Today's episode, I had a conversation with Naz Beheshti. She's the author of Pause, Breathe, Choose, Become the CEO of Your Wellbeing. And we discuss mindful techniques to deal with stress in the workplace in a healthy way. And, you know, of course, these practices aren't just helpful to us in the workplace and even the people that we support in the workplace, but it should be incorporated into every area of your life. So you're going to enjoy this conversation. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. Probably a lot of us are stressed out and this episode is for you. Enjoy the episode. Make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram. Twitter, any of those places. I'd love to connect with you and hear how you're liking the content. Enjoy, and I'll talk to you next week. Nas, it's a pleasure to have you on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Brandon. Well, you've got a fascinating career, and I want to talk about uh, your books, specifically Pause, Breathe, Choose, Become the CEO of Your Wellbeing. But let's start with where you started your career in young adult life, because I'm sure anybody would be wowed by this. You were the executive assistant to Steve Jobs. What was that experience like? It was pretty intense, but at the same time, really insightful and highly influential because it was my first job out of college. And so getting exposed to, you know, Apple, a large, you know, very successful corporation and working for an iconic visionary as my first job was, um, to say the least, uh, intense, but also just so life transforming in a way. And in hindsight, it really set me on the path to where I am today. Even though that job was kind of an accident, it wasn't planned, I didn't seek that job, and I almost didn't even take the job, but I thought it would be a great opportunity to work for Steve Jobs just temporarily. I worked a little bit over a year before I moved on, but it really did truly set me on the path to where I am today because he taught me the most profound lesson, which is well-being drives success. And I had the opportunity to see up close and personally what it was like to, even though I wasn't thinking of it in these terms, but how Steve Jobs was the CEO of his well-being. I, in hindsight, connect the dots, but he really did prioritize his self-care and, you know, meditated daily, ate really healthily, had a private trainer several times a week and had very strong relationships and ha- was very passionate and purposeful. I mean, he was building a company he was extremely passionate about. And so all of that combined is really total well-being. And he really cracked the code early on. Um, and I got to see that up close and personally. Yeah. I mean, a guy like that with as busy as he probably is and, and just so many people relying on him, I'm sure he had to put the right people around him to make sure that he was being held accountable for his, his well-being. And, and I'm sure he wanted that and he was disciplined, but 
people like you, an executive assistant, I'm sure you have, you have several other executive assistants as well. I mean, I imagine his calendar is so full and other areas of his life need attending to. And I guess you're as good as the people you put around you, right? Right. And surprisingly, it was only me and one other woman. Oh, really? Okay. That's it. Yeah. So when she was out of the office, it was just me. <laughs> Those days was they were the most stressful ever because I just was running around like a chicken with his head cut off. I mean, didn't even have time to use the restroom. I mean, it was just so busy and I couldn't miss a phone call. So at the time I was taking like the cordless phone to the restroom if I really had to. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was really intense. (laughs) You wrote that like you supported Steve's well-being and looked after him, but you ignored your own. Like, why yes. do you think, why do you think that was? Are you just so intently like wanting to make sure that he was taken care of that you just neglected your, your own well-being? Yeah, basically. And I was young and naive. I mean, I just didn't, my mindset was not on, you know, total well-being or thinking I need to take care of myself. I was young. I had good genes, you know, thankfully, And I didn't really have to pay the consequences at that time. I mean, I did a little bit, which was like my hair started falling out from all the stress. Really? Yes. I had clumps of hair falling out when I started working for him. And so that was due to stress. And I know that's kind of how my body reacts to stress because I've had other stressful situations happen afterwards. And that's what typically happens to me is my hair starts falling out. So that started in Steve's office and I just, um, I was young and naive. So I didn't really think that I needed to take care of myself. And I was so busy with all my attention on him and made sure he was taking care of himself. My whole life was Steve more so than thinking about myself. And you obviously looked after his well-being. Imagine you got him healthy meals and all that. But there's one, there's one comment that I thought was funny. You snuck in a, a nice little dessert treat, a, an oatmeal cookie, which I think you thought was healthy. And then you later found it in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My version of healthy was Steve's version of garbage, quite literally. I mean, he didn't even take a bite out of the cookie. He just knew that that was junk or garbage and threw it away immediately. And I found the whole cookie in the garbage later on that day. So I wanted to start with your career and and Steve, just because I think that's somebody on the top of his game, you know, somebody who's so successful and you see how disciplined he is about his well-being. And there's this quote that you have in the book I thought was fascinating. You wrote, we prioritize doing well over being well. But the truth is we can have both success and well-being. And in my experience, success and well-being are synonymous, end quote. Unpack that statement for me because I think a lot of people aren't seeing it that way. They're thinking like, oh, in order to have success, I just need to be burned out and stressed out and and not focused on well-being. So maybe just discuss that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, working in corporate for over a decade after working for Apple, before I started my own corporate wellness company, I realized that people, they were wearing um, a badge of honor when they would say like, oh, I didn't, you know, I only need five hours of sleep or I only slept for four hours last night or I pulled an all nighter, you know, working really hard versus working really smart and optimizing your energy levels rather than optimizing your time. Because we all have the same amount of hours in the day. There's 24 hours in the day. No one has a power. I don't care who you are, but we can never increase the amount of hours in the day, but we can optimize 
our energy and well-being so that we can work more efficiently, more effectively, and smarter. And it's not about working ourselves to death and and forgetting about our own well-being because when people think that they have to be successful and whatever success means to them, they most of the time are neglecting their own well-being, but they don't have to because they actually go hand in hand because in order to do well, you must be well. Because if you aren't well and you just keep trying to do, do, do and do well and be successful without taking care of yourself, you are going to face burnout, chronic stress, and court premature death. That is just factual. I mean, I've seen it. I know it. And I also know as an executive wellness coach and CEO of a corporate wellness company that you can have both. And that's the smartest way to approach it is to first take care of yourself and lead by example and show up as the best version of yourself. And in turn, that creates ripples throughout your life and throughout the company, throughout your relationships, your life in general as a whole, through all aspects of your life. And you're successful in everything that you do and in all aspects of your life if you do that. It's interesting because I think it's ingrained in our culture right now, just the busyness inside of our organizations. Like you said, people wear it as a badge of honor. There's the hustle culture with side hustles and entrepreneurial endeavors and things like that. And and I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, I, I've got to do this to be successful. And you know, that means cutting into my sleep, not taking care of myself, not eating right. I mean, what, what do you say to these people who have bought into that, that culture? Well, I ask them how they're feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not very good. And how's that working out for you? <laughs> you know, um, and I also ask them about a time that they did feel really good and energized and um, inspired and just fulfilled because Most of the time they forget why they're doing what they're doing because, again, they're not taking care of themselves and they're not actually enjoying what they're doing because they're, you know, experiencing chronic stress or burnout. And that's not a way to live. But for some people, um, especially when new clients come to me, that becomes their, their new or not new. That is their norm, right? Is that feeling fatigued all the time, you know, not sleeping well, not eating well, not exercising as much as they'd like or at all, and sacrificing relationships and time with their loved ones, their family. And that's just because they think they have to work hard and get to a certain point. It's like, okay, once I get to this point or reach this milestone, then I can do all those things. But again, if we look at it as the bigger picture if you do them simultaneously, you're going to be more effective and productive, healthier and happier. You had a stint in pharmaceutical sales. I'm trying to remember how many years you were in pharmaceutical sales, but you wrote that you'd see these doctor's offices because you'd go visit them and they're jam-packed. And one can only imagine, I mean, I'm sure you and I both go to the doctor on a regular basis and you know, you get a 15 minute appointment with doctors and they're not seeing patients for very long. And like you even said, like, you're probably getting a temporary fix at best and it doesn't fix the root causes. So there's things that are left being unaddressed, which is well-being. How do we, even in organizations, how do leaders address this gap? Because, you know, we've got insurance, we've got these benefits that people use, but they're like temporary fixes. They're like fixing things that are becoming a problem, but 
we need to fix it upstream. So this gap, what do we do about it? In my experience, it's most effective to start from the top. So my actual practice started as executive wellness coaching before it opened up to corporate wellness. And that was like an organic evolution of how I realized that when you coach and you know work with the, the C-level and, and senior leadership and teach them and train them and coach them on how to live your best life by adopting a healthy lifestyle and, and healthy mindset and behaviors. And when they lead by example, and they're the ones who are practicing what they should eventually be teaching all the employees, that's where it starts from them. And so when, for example, typically corporate wellness comes from HR and HR is marketing it and promoting it, but when the communication is coming directly from the CEO or C-level, it helps engage the employees more because as an employee, think about it, you get an email from HR or the CEO, which one are you going to click on? <laughs> the CEO for sure. <laughs> yes. Like you're going to get the attention. The CEO is going to get that attention that is um, needed for employees to engage in corporate wellness programs. So I think to fill the gap, we need participation engagement from C-level and senior leadership. I love that. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to dive into the meat of your book. Uh, there's so much that we, we're not going to cover here, but um, I want to dive into some things that I think will be helpful for the listeners and then people that they uh, support in their organizations. So you talk about a mindful breath, and this is just diving into the mindfulness, and you talk about meditation and things like that. But the mindful breath, what is that, and how do we use it to kind of reset ourselves? The mindful breath is part of my pause, breathe, choose method, which is so effective and powerful that I named my book after it. It's really a method for translating mindfulness into action and just taking ownership of our well-being. When we are mindful, um, we're able to take a pause when we're in a situation that is not really serving us. Let's say we're stressed or anxious or just even tired Whatever state of mind we're in, we can either continue to be in that state of mind if we're kind of not mindful that we're in it or on autopilot. But when we're mindful, we are aware that we're in a state that is not serving us and we can take a pause. We know then, okay, let me take a pause followed by a mindful breath. When we take that mindful breath, we are instantly re-engaged into the present moment. And when we are present, we are better equipped to make better choices. So pause, breathe, choose is mindfulness in action. And our life is really just a you know, series of choices that we make. It's all about our choices every day from when we wake up until we go to sleep. When we take those mindful breaths, maybe it's one breath, two breaths, you know, or more, maybe it's 20 minutes then we instantly feel good. We have a connection between our mind and our heart because we're settling into our the current state and moment. And then we're uh, able to make better decisions and choices. How often do you recommend people do this? And in what situations would be appropriate for a mindful breath? Just any time throughout the day or when you're feeling stressed or like, is there a, an appropriate time to do it? 
Well, I always um, encourage people to start their day with a seated mindfulness moment, meditation, or, you know, if, if sitting in a formal meditation practice isn't for you, it could be a walking or moving meditation like yoga or walking. But starting your day that way is really effective and helps you hit the ground running. And so I highly encourage a short mindfulness moment or meditation to start your day. But throughout the day, taking just shorter pauses, like just think of pause, breathe, choose, like when you need to make a choice, when you are stressed, when you are tired or working on something for a long time. My client yesterday said, I literally pushed my chair away from my desk and said, pause, breathe, choose. Your voice was in my mind and I needed that moment to pause because I just had one of those days. And she said she just pushed the chair away and sat there and took mindful breaths and then was able to choose what to do next more appropriately, more effectively, because she just wasn't, she was so exhausted and she was just multitasking so many things. And so then it just reengages you with the present and realigns you with what is my purpose? What is my intention? What do I want to do next? And it's just putting more intention and purpose into your thoughts and actions, really. Yeah. What I love about that is it's so simple to implement throughout the day. I imagine as working professionals, people just get so busy and wrapped up and they're like, ah, mindfulness. I, I know I need to do it. I don't know where to start or how to do it. So it seems like that's a pretty good first step. Yes. And if you're in an argument with someone, I had another client who said was arguing with his CEO and he said that he just left the situation and said, I'll be right back and went to the restroom and took a pause. Wow. Many breaths and then chose to come back and respond rather than react. And I love that story because he was used to be very reactive and his meditation practice, daily meditation practice, um, I encouraged him to do every morning, helped him become mindful so that in that moment, instead of reacting to his boss, the CEO, he was able to remove himself from the situation and just breathe for a minute or so and come back and respond rather than react. And then he also said he chose not to take up personally and chose to just respond calmly and from a grounded, centered place. Oh my gosh, I'm taking a page for that book. I mean, how often do you hear people actually leaving a conversation to take a pause, to breathe like that, and then to choose to respond instead of react? I mean, I just don't hear of people doing that. Well, it's practice. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. Well, good, because you wrote a book on it. You well, better yeah. practice what you <laughs> preach. <laughs> right, right. Um, some people get offended. Like, where are you going? This isn't over yet. It's like, no, no, I'll be right back. Like, give me a moment. Let me take a beat. Let me take a breath. It depends on your personality, but I know I used to be very reactive myself. That's why I took up meditation. One of the many reasons I took up meditation, but Instead of reacting, I'm able to respond just like my client was, because if not, I tend to say things, I used to tend to say things that I would regret because it wasn't coming from a place of centered calm and responding. It was reacting, you know, and that's a place you don't want to come from is reaction from your mind. Part two of your book is very meaty. And I want to just quickly ask you about the seven A's. What are those and maybe we can hone in on like one of them, if you would. 
So the seven A's are about applying better choices to manage stress and build resilience. So the first A is adopt a healthy lifestyle. So it's really what Steve practiced, like eating well, sleeping, you know, seven to nine hours a night, having regular physical activity, having regular mindfulness practice, daily mindfulness practice, preferably, and, you know, have been fulfilled and inspired and purpose-driven. The second A is allocate play and recovery time, which a lot of people, when they read the book, love this part because adopt a healthy lifestyle is fundamental and people know to do that, but they don't always do it. But the allocating play and recovery time is really fundamental. It kind of builds on the adopt a healthy lifestyle because we all were born to play. As kids, we were always playing and sleeping. And and as we get older, we play. And and play, playfulness and recovery time reboots our mind and our body and it promotes creativity and clarity and And most importantly, it's just fun. So why not do that? And then the third A is avoid unnecessary stress. So if you can avoid the unnecessary stress, avoid it, but not all the time you can avoid it. So the fourth A is about altering the situation if you can. Now, if you can't alter the situation, so each A kind of builds upon the next, then you can adapt to the stressor because then you just got to make the best out of it and adapt in whatever way you can to that stressor. And then the sixth A is about accepting what you cannot change. So you can't avoid, alter, adapt, then you've just, you know, you have to accept what you cannot change for greater peace of mind instead of resisting it all the time, just accept it. And then lastly, attend to connection with self, others, world, and universe. And this is more about the connection and relationships that are in our lives, which start from ourselves and then goes outward. I'd love to hone in on the third one, which is avoid unnecessary stress. I mean, because I think a lot of people struggle with this area. How do you go about avoiding unnecessary stress? And and again, not all stress is bad. I mean, there's good stress like exercise, you know, physical rigorous activity. But the unnecessary stress, maybe talk about that and how, like, what tactics we can use to shed those from our lives. So, the ACE method is a new way of reframing stress. And this is a method I use for avoiding unnecessary stress. It's an effective way to upgrade both your mindset and your behavior. So, ACE has double meaning ACE stands for the different kinds of stress, which are acute, chronic, and eustress. And then It's also a three-step method, which I have implemented in practice, which is um, step one is first to be aware of the signs and symptoms of the stressors and identify the type, whether it's acute, chronic, or eustress, and the source of the stress. So when you have the ability to distinguish between different kinds of stress, then that allows you to perceive stress, you know, as a challenge rather than an obstacle. If you choose to perceive that, it's a mindset shift, right? That's the second step too, is changing your mindset. Like choose to reframe the stress using that upgraded mindset so that you can identify your options. And that's both a mindset and behavior, right? Because sometimes a stressful situation is actually in your mind and it's what you consider to be stressful, but it's actually not. Stress is really what you perceive of a situation that you might not be able to handle or it's just challenging. 
But if you change your mindset to think that this is actually an opportunity rather than something that is an obstacle, that's really helpful. And then step three is take empowered and effective action. And that could mean, again, with action, like behavioral action or mindset, like shifting your mindset. Because what we are feeling and thinking could either be acute stress or eustress or chronic stress, but the point is to toggle between the acute stress, which is short-term, or eustress, which is a positive stress that you mentioned. And we want to avoid the trap of that chronic stress, which is a long-term stress of six months or greater, where you feel that you have unresolved issues, you're, you're not able to resolve issues, and it's also characterized by feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. So we want to avoid the trap of the chronic stress and toggle, if possible, between the two, you know, the necessary and desirable stress, acute stress and eustress. It's really up to us. So I just say it's our choice. And and the choice is whether it's either to shift your mindset, because we can't always, like I said, avoid, alter, or adapt to a stressor, but you could always shift your mindset, right, around it. So at the very least, that's really how you would avoid unnecessary stress by you know, using that ACE method to ACE stress. Part three of the book is such a fascinating one. This is about becoming the CEO of your well-being. The first chapter of that section was so fascinating because it's you're talking about how pain can become the greatest teacher for our growth. And I'm just thinking like, gosh, the just people go through adversity and they have trauma or whatever it may be that it's just in the moment, it's so painful and it's so hard to get out of that. How do you approach painful moments, challenges, adversity in a way that it teaches you a lesson that you can come out better on the backside of it? Well, first by feeling it all, not dismissing it or shoving it down, bottling it up. Like recognizing it, like you're feeling it, yeah. Recognize it, go through all the, you know, motions and stages of it so that you're dealing with it, not dismissing it. And then depending on what type of pain, because there's so many different types of pain and everyone's different, you know, with their pain threshold and how they handle pain. But in my experience, I've found that the most meaningful way to deal with pain is to make it your, you know, your greatest teacher for growth. Because if not, I feel like it's just putting myself in a disempowered state. A lot of people tend to, you know, define themselves by past experiences that, you know, have not been, they've been painful and not good. And we don't need to define ourselves by our past or our painful experiences. On the flip side, we can actually learn to evolve as a result of it. And I find that that is a much more empowered state and useful state. Let's end with this. Prana. I've never heard of this word before. I thought it was fascinating. You talk about uh, prana and then you also relate it to an organization. So what is it? And then how, how does it fit inside of an organization? Prana is Sanskrit word for breath, life force, or life energy. And this vital energy moves through everything and everyone promoting healing. However, sometimes prana can become blocked by fears, fatigue, pain, you know, uncertainties and chronic stress, which prevents you from performing your best and experiencing joy. When 
prana is flowing freely, there's a tongue twister, when prana is flowing freely, you are energized and engaged and can make better choices. So the quality of your prana depends on how you choose to live your life. And the way I related to companies is since prana is breath and life force and life energy, I say that your employees are your prana because they are the life force and life energy of the company. Without your employees and their well-being, when their prana is flowing freely, they're most productive, um, happier, healthier, then the company performs too and succeeds because without the employees, the company doesn't have much, right? I mean, the the employees are everything. Well said. I mean, I I love that, the way you look at that and relate it to the organization because I do believe that employees are the lifeblood of an organization and we need happy, healthy people in order to make our organizations thrive. So I think it's perfectly said. Nas, it's been such a pleasure having you on the the show. Uh, Your book is pause, breathe, choose, become the CEO of your well-being. I encourage the listeners to go get it because we didn't even cover everything in there. There's so much to unpack. Um, Again, thanks for coming on the show. Anything you want to say in parting, uh, point people to wherever you want to point them to as well. Yeah. So thank you for having me on the show. It was such a pleasure. And my parting words for your listeners are really that, you know, you have the power and the choice to be the CEO of your well-being and take charge of all areas of your life so that you can truly live your best life. And if you want to learn more about me, my coaching, I can um, be found at, on my website, nasbeheshti.com. And then my corporate website is prananaz.com. Naz Beheshti, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you. Thank you, Brandon. It was a pleasure.